end of every meal, or at, at least the meals that I've gone to recently. It's a dance of when the check comes out. And check comes out, and it's like, oh, I got it. And the other person, whoever you're eating with, no, 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 I got it. No, 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 really, really, I got it, I got it. And it's this dance that I've learned as I get older. Um, there's ways around it. If you really don't like those dances, there's a way around it. And I, 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 what I've learned as I've gotten older is I, I like when I meet with my friends, I like being the one who pays. Uh, and so what you do is you, you, you say, uh, oh, I need to go to the restroom. And you, you get up and you go to the restroom, you find the waiter and you say, you know, here, the, the check's on me. And then you give them your credit card and that way there won't be that awkward dance that goes on. Um, this dance never happened when I was in college because in college I had no money. Uh, in college, the check would come out and it would be like, all right, everybody, we're split. And it's like, who has cash? If you have cash, I'll take your cash and, I, and I'll use my card. And, and we kind of did like that because, you know, we were all poor, broke college kids. Uh, I remember when I got my first job and I was working, I was, uh, it, I guess it was my real first job, but my first job that paid decently well. I was a waiter at a restaurant. Um, and, and basically what ended up happening was uh, I wanted to take my friends out to eat. And we would go out and, and you, you say, because you're generous, you're feeling, you know, dinner's on me tonight because, you know, I'm getting paid now. Like dinner's on me. The, the, something happens that kind of, it, it was kind of annoying. It was like, one of my friends was like, all right, drinks all around. And you're like, come on, man. Like, I said dinner's on me, and now you're going to order the most expensive thing on the menu. You're going to order all these things. And then, you know, it's like the check comes out, and it comes out, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, shh, oh. <laughs> and you put that, and you're like, oh, man, I hope, my, I hope I have enough money in my bank account to, to pay for this meal. So what ends up, what's that, what ends up happening, just kind of naturally, um, as you, as you kind of learn, you know, you don't, you don't end up paying for everyone. You know, if, if the group gets really big, you know, if the group is, is more than six people, then it's never this like, oh, it's on me. I got it. Don't worry. And you put your card down. You know, if it's more than six people, then it becomes this like thing where it's like, you know, everyone can kind of split. Everyone kind of figure out your own thing. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's too expensive. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And then we kind of make these barriers. I remember there's even times where like my friends, um, they come to Denver to ski and, and they bring other friends that I, I never met. And it's those times where I'm like, I'm not paying. I'm not paying for this meal. I'm not paying for them. I'm paying for, you know, like my family, my, my group. I'm, I'm paying for this, this aspect because I don't know these people. I don't know who they are. They're, they're your friends. You pay for them. You, you, deal with, you deal with those people and their check and all those things. You know, I'm just going to take care of mine. What I realized is this, this attitude actually has bled into ministry in a lot of ways. This attitude has bled into ministry in a way that we see on, on a, a, a kind of a macro level, but even in our own church that we see is in many ways, in many times, it's easy for us to be nice and kind to the people that are like us, to be the people that we like and we enjoy, and we want to, to be generous, and we want to reach out because, hey, I love you, I care about you, and so of course I'm going to be there for you. But then someone comes into the group that's kind of, you know, they're not really like you. They, they're, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit not the same way. When it comes, when it comes to church, what ends up happening so frequently is that we just like to be with the people that we like. You know, we like to serve with the people we like to serve with. We like to do ministry with the people that are like us. And so even in our church, a lot of times we look very similar. We, you know, we, we act very similar. We're kind of in the same kind of class. And I think what ends up happening is because it's in our comfort zone, but really what ends up, it's, 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 a fact of, um, it's a fact of life. It's just, it's just one of those things that it just happens that you congregate with the people that are like you and you're willing to serve with people that are like you. 
And what's that happening? I'll just name it in our church. In our church, what, what happens very frequently is the people that come into our congregation that are married and have kids just are quickly assimilated. It's like, oh, you're married? That's great. Come, join, join us. You have kids? That's great. I have kids. You know, come and they can play together and we can, we can gather, we can fellowship, we can have this time. And those people get connected very quickly. And, and I'm not saying any of that is wrong. What I'm saying is we have to begin to understand there's a logic that leads to that kind of community. And that logic is, is one where it's, it's very tribal. It's very much, you know, stick with the people that are like you because in numbers we're stronger than alone. And I know what it's like to be alone. And so being a part of a community with like-minded people, with people in similar situations, it's very comfortable. It's very, it's, it's, it's very stress-free because everyone knows, like even in my small group, and I love my small group because we're all guys um, who, who have kids and are married. And so we, we talk about uh, the different problems in our lives. and It's very comfortable. And I'm not saying any of that is bad. But the logic that leads to that kind of church isn't the logic of the kingdom of God. And I, I want you to understand something. The logic that goes with that kind of ministry, with that kind of group, that kind of community is one that is based on human ability. It is one that is based on, on what human and, and, and mankind is able to do because you want to congregate with the people that are like you so you stick together so that you're strong together, that you help one another, you, you support one another. That's the logic of the world. The logic of the gospel is a little bit different. And I want to explain that to you today in the book of John. It's found in John chapter 6, starting from verse 1. It says, in the book of John chapter 6, it says, after this, uh, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes. Then, and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I love that verse. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, There was a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All right. Jesus is doing something very significant here. And I want to kind of go step by step with what he's doing and why this is a very important passage in regarding community and church. 
And not even just community and church, it's actually an overarching lesson on how we're supposed to handle the problems and difficulties in our lives. What happens here is a, it's a very fun, fun passage. And, and again, maybe I'm just a Bible nerd, which is such a stupid thing to say, but maybe I just enjoy reading the Bible, but Jesus' humor really comes out. And I, I love the fact that when I read the Bible, you can, you can find, kind of hear Jesus' personality come about. So Jesus kind of comes to this place in, in 5,000 families. It says 5,000 men, but really it's 5,000 families have gathered to hear the word of Christ. And not only that, because they just want to see what Jesus is doing because they hear the stories of him healing the sick. <clears throat> so Jesus, seeing these 5,000 families, says to his disciple, Philip, he's like, Philip, we've got to feed these people. We, we have to pay for the bread. You know, where are we going to buy bread to feed these people? What I love is that in, in this passage, it says that Jesus knew what he was going to do, and that's why he asked Philip this question. He knew what he was about to do. He knew the miracle that he was going to perform, but he still asked Philip this question. I, I want us to be very clear that Jesus did this he kind of wanted to troll Philip a little bit. He wanted, to, he wanted to put a little prank on him, but really there's a lesson behind him even asking this question because Jesus easily could have gone to the 5,000 families and been like, boom, here's food, eat. You know, and this is, I am Lord, I am King, here is food. No, but first he goes to his leadership and he says, hey, we have this problem. We have this really big problem. How much money... Or what, where can we go buy food to fix this problem that we have, this huge problem that we have? And again, Jesus knows exactly how he's going to fix it. Jesus already knows. He already, because he knows everything. He knows exactly how to solve this problem of feeding 5,000 families. But he asks his disciple, he asks his follower, how can you fix this, Philip? How can you, based on your ability, fix this problem? And Philip does some math, and he's just probably stressed out because Jesus is asking this question about how to feed 5,000 families. Uh, okay, it, okay, Jesus, even if we had 200 day wages, if, even if we had 200 of these day wages, we wouldn't be able to feed even a small piece to each person. He's doing all the math on how to fix the problem. And so for Philip, he's probably thinking to himself, Jesus... You need to make some money, man. Like, if you really want to feed these people, you got to have more in your bank account. It's just common sense. It's logic. Like, Jesus, if you want to buy bread for 5,000 families, you got to go out and you got to work and make some money. So, you know, maybe we can we, we go fishing again and, 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 and catch all those fish and sell the fish, and then we can buy the bread. Again, this is just... I think the stress of even being under a leader. Like if, you, if you're under someone and they ask you these big, these, they have these big problems and they're, they're, they're charging you to fix it, it's the stress of trying to, trying to figure, okay, if, if we're gonna, here's the logistics, here, here's all the things we have to do. Man, if we're gonna feed 5,000 families, you know, we have to deal with all the trash, we have to deal with all the, all the things. Jesus, this is gonna take so much money. It's gonna take so much effort. It's gonna take so much time. So again, I'm kind of adding to it, but Phil, I'm sure he's a little exasperated, probably a little annoyed, a little perturbed. Like, Jesus, how could you even possibly think that we could feed 5,000 families? Let those families eat themselves. You know, get them to go and get their own, their own meal somewhere else. Why do you think that we should feed them? And then this little boy comes up. Oh, man. And I really want to focus on this little boy for a little, for a little bit. This little boy comes up, probably seeing all the commotion. You know, all, all, all the leaders, all, all the adults, all the grown-ups are, are huddled around. It's like, all right, 
how do we feed 5,000 families? How do we get this done? How do we make sure that everyone gets some meal? Or, and it's, it's, I hope it's not too bad because if the food is bad, they're going to go and t- talk about how bad the food is. You know, how can we figure all this out? This little boy comes up and he's like, I have five loaves and two fish. Now I want to give this to Jesus. What I want to focus on is, is the, the faith of this little boy. And the beauty of it is this. The logic of children is a little bit different. It's a little bit different because imagine you, you are a million dollars in debt. And a little kid, your, 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 your child comes up. He goes, Dad, here's $5. I know you're in debt, a million dollars, but here's $5. Hopefully that will help. You know, there comes a point where you're like, son, $5 ain't going to do much. <laughs> like $5 isn't, isn't enough to fix my problem. My, my problem, you know, it's a million. You're five, five, five does not equal a million. But thanks, but no thanks. Like really, that's kind of what's going on here. This little boy, because he's not under the logic of adults, he's under the logic of a child. And, and I want to follow the logic of a child for a second. And, and it's a logic that I want us to learn that we're called to. This little boy had heard the rumors, the stories of Jesus, of Jesus being the one who has gone and healed all these people of their ailments. These people where the blind began to see, the the lame were able to walk because this guy Jesus was the one praying for them. This guy Jesus was the one leading them. He probably even heard the story. I mean, maybe it had had kind of of gone out that he was able to turn water into wine. That this Jesus, I mean, he was magic. Like this guy was amazing and wonderful. And so this little boy, again, how crazy it is But he sees this multitude of people and how the leadership is looking and trying to fix the problem by their own logic. This little boy is like, but if I give Jesus my loaves and fish, maybe he can use it. And I think this little boy's logic was absolutely correct. As small as his offering was, if we give it to the Lord, of course he's able to do it. The lesson I want to teach you today when it comes to ministry is one that I deal with and is a sin that I deal with. Because many times God calls us to something huge. There's a huge problem that we see and it really affects our heart. This huge crisis, this issue that we truly desire to fix, to answer. This call that is so ginormous, it seems that it is impossible. In many ways, we are like Philip. Philip, when he saw this call to feed 5,000 people, he's trying to answer it based on his human ability. And it's an impossibility. And again, many times I feel this with my calling. And I'm sure you feel this with your calling, that the calling is so ginormous. And the response that we give back to God is usually one of two things. The first is, I can't do it. It's impossible. So we throw up our hands in the air and we say, I'm not going to do it. And and I I know Philip didn't do this, but if I was Philip, I would probably be like this. 5,000 people, that's impossible. And and, and I was trying to stand there and just be like, Jesus, figure it out on your own. I, I, I I can't do what you're asking. The problem's too big. Let the people figure it out on their own. There's a second response, which actually, again, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of. The call, the problem is there. And so it's like, Jesus, I know you're saying 5,000 people, but I could do uh, maybe 50. And, and we, we, we decrease the call. We decrease the amount. And so it's like, you know what, Jesus, I know you said feed 5,000 people, but let's pick the best 50. 
and we're going to take the best 50, we'll feed them a really good meal, and the rest they can figure out on their own, and we'll start with the 50. We'll start with this small group, and we'll start really small, and we'll make sure everything's really good, and we'll make sure everything's perfect for these 50 people, and for these 50s families. We'll, we'll start a church, and you know, we'll do all these things, and you can really minister to these 50 people when Jesus' call is for the 5,000. See, many times when we have this big problem in front of us, we use our logic on how we're going to fix it, on how we're going to do it. And in many ways, there's even a prayer that we pray. I'm sure that Philip was kind of praying at this time. It's, oh man, this problem's so big, if only I won the lottery. I mean, really, the lottery solves his problems. Because if, if Philip wins the lottery, and, and it's, it's like... It, <laughs> Oh, I need to feed 5,000 people. If only, if only a lump sum of money just drops in my lap, then I can go to the market and I can buy enough food for these people. Money can solve my problems. If I get enough money, then this big issue that God has placed in front of me, what he's called me to answer, that, that he's calling me to respond to, if only I win the lottery or I get a lot of money, I get a job promotion, I get that bonus, I get that raise, only then can I answer God's call in my life. But Jesus doesn't work on that logic. Jesus doesn't work on the logic that money will solve your problems because Jesus knows that money won't solve your problems. Jesus knows that he can solve your problems. Jesus knows before he even asks you, he, before he even calls you to a problem, he already knows how he's going to fix it. The reason why he wants you to solve this problem or for you to address this problem isn't so that you will address the problem. It's so that you will gain more relationship and trust in him. Let me explain it this way. Jesus didn't care that these 5,000 people were fed. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's true. Jesus didn't care that these 5,000 people were fed. The reason why is because these people can go back home and they can eat. Just, to, just because they miss one meal doesn't mean that they're going to die. You know, they just fast for a little bit. It's, it's not that big of a deal that these people don't eat. The reason why Jesus wanted these people to be fed was so that his disciples could see that he has the power to feed 5,000 people. It wasn't about the disciples feeding people because that's just a waste of money. It, it truly is. If the disciples gathered all, if they emptied their pockets and said, okay, you know, here's all the money we have and this is all we can do. And so this is what we were able to do. This is what we're going to do. It's not based on the power of God. It's based on the power of the disciples. Jesus wanted them to learn to trust in his power, in his authority, and to go to him when they have these problems. Again, that's why Jesus is asking them this hard call, this hard question, is because not he wants them to figure out amongst themselves using their own wisdom, their own knowledge, and their own ability. He wants them to get down on their knees. If Philip had the response of, of being like, Lord, and he just fell prostrate before Jesus and said, Lord, I am not able to do this, but you are able to do this. I, I know that Philip would have shown such great faith that Jesus, of course, can fill the bellies of 5,000 people. But it took the faith of a child. The logic of a child. Which again, it is logic. I don't want you to look at this passage and think it's illogical. The logic of the child is very important. Is that he had heard about what Jesus could do. 
He heard about the power of Christ, the power of the Lord, and therefore he responded to that. Rather than responding to his own ability, because his own ability is only five loaves and two fish, that could probably fill you know, one person on a good day because it's, you know, it's not much. But the child was using the logic of Christ, saying, if I give to Jesus, then Jesus can do above and beyond I could ever. Jesus wanted to teach his, his disciples this very lesson, that it's based on the power of God, not on the power of man. When it comes to our church, many times we rest on the power of man rather than the power of God. Many times we rely on what we trust in the numbers rather than what we trust in what God has called us to do. Church, we have been given this call to spread the gospel to the city of Denver. We have been charged with the call to reach out to as many people as we can, to as many lives, as many souls as we can, to win them for Christ, to gain them, to gather them, to push them into relationship with Jesus. And many times what we do, instead of seeing it in the lens of a child and saying, here is the small offering our little church can give to you, Lord. Do what you want. Many times what we do is we say, what can we do? What are we able to do? What does our budget allow? What does our number allow? What is our capacity? And we only work within that paradigm. What I want to say is many times we just forget that our Lord is powerful, that he's strong, that he's the provider, that he's able to do above and beyond our wildest dreams. There's a third part to this. At the very end of this passage, Jesus does something that is so significant. The, the crowd, they all eat. And it's amazing because they eat and they eat to their full, so much so that there's 12 baskets of, of leftovers that the disciples can take home, you know, as, as, as a goodie bag. And, and, and the people, seeing that Jesus was able to multiply five loaves and two fish into this amazing feast for the people, they are like, this is the prophet. This is the guy that was prophesied about that was going to come and he's going to be the savior. Like they're, they're clamoring and they're saying this. And, and this is something amazing. They begin to gather because it's 5,000 families and they're like, he's the king. We need to crown Jesus as king and have him be this figurehead that will save us from all of our oppressions and all of our, all of our uh, problems will be solved by Jesus if we crown him as king. But what the text explains to us is that as soon as Jesus started to hear the, the murmurings and started to hear everyone saying that they want to crown him as king, he withdrew. He hid away. Not because they wanted to kill him. And again, sometimes it would make more sense if he withdrew because the crowd wanted to kill him. He withdrew because he was becoming so popular that they wanted to crown him as king. This is, again, not because Jesus isn't worthy of being king. He's explaining to us how churches should act and operate. When we experience the blessing of God, that we are able to do something above and beyond our wildest dreams because we know God is at the center of it and God is the one doing it, many times what I've seen many churches do, and I want us to just be cautious and wary of it, many times churches want the spotlight. Churches want everyone to know, look at what we've done. Imagine if this happened to our, our ministry. 
Imagine if there was 5,000 families that needed to be fed. And our, our tiny little church was like, well, here is our five loaves and two fish. And we prayed over it and we fed 5,000 families, 5,000 homeless families. Oh, my goodness. And we did this amazing thing. This is, this is the lesson I want you to learn about what being a Christian really looks like. I've seen too often is if you feed 5,000 people, 5,000 families, and a, and a small, tiny church is at the, at the core of it, the, the first thing that happens is that church gets on the news. And, and all the news reporters come, and they're like, hey, so tell me, you know, oh, oh, why, are you, why are you doing this amazing thing? Like, oh, what did you guys do? I want you to understand something very clear. There are times in which the world wants to crown you as king. The times the, the world wants to give you the glory and say, look at what you've done. Look at how awesome you are. So start reaping the rewards. Reap the benefit. Reap the celebrity. Reap, reap the fame and, and the reputation that comes with it. Jesus makes it very clear that that is not, that is not at the core of it. I hope and pray that if that ever happened, that we would not plaster our church's name everywhere. Say, look at what LCC has done. You know, this, this small church is able to do so much, and, and they're able to do all these things, and, and, and LCC, LCC, LCC. Oh, look at how great our church is. You should start coming to our church because we're so great, we're so wonderful. You should start coming here because look at all the things we could do. Start crowning this as the best church. We should start running away from that. Run away as fast as you can. The reason why is because it's not based on you. It's based on him. Again, I'm saying Jesus is teaching us the model of ministry in this. The first is, is it's not based on your power, your ability. It's not based on how much you have. That's not the right equation. It's not you have a million dollars in the bank, therefore you're able to provide for a million more people than someone with one dollar in the bank. Jesus makes it very clear in many of his teachings and it's not about how much you have that, that leads to more people being blessed. It's about the heart and who you're entrusting it with. There's a story about a, a, a widow with two mites, and, and they're in the, in the temple, and this woman with two mites gives it. it. It's all that she has, and she gives it. And Jesus points her out and says that she has given more than everyone. In, in, in the logic of Christ, in the logic of the kingdom, in the logic of the gospel, it has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the heart. And in many times, church becomes a place not about the heart, but about what it looks like from the outside. Many times it's not about actually loving people. It's about looking like you love people. Many times it's not about being a friend. It's about looking like a friend. There was a statistic that came out that, that was a little disturbing, a little, a little hard on my heart a little bit, but it was saying like the average American adult has two friends, has two people that really that, that, that are friends. And as, as sad as that was, I was kind of like, that's kind of true. Because of, of the cost of that kind of relationship, the cost of that kind of friendship. What I hope church becomes is not a place where it's like, yeah, my capacity is two friends and therefore I'm only going to have two relationships that are, that are deep and, and that are good. I hope and pray that even with the small that we have, the little that we have, that we begin to expand, not because we're able to have more friends, we're able to have more relationships, we're able to do more, but because we give it unto the Lord and he begins to multiply. 
And he begins to be the one that expands your capacity. What I want to teach you from this passage is, is very simple. You're going to come into contact with a lot of problems. These big problems. These big issues. That it's, like, it's like feeding 5,000 people. It's these big issues that there is no response in sight. And I pray that you do not try to answer your problems with money. I pray. I pray that you don't try to answer this problem with your own strength, with your own power, with your own solutions. Because I know it's so easy. It's so simple. Many times we have these problems, and because we're so used to just being the ones who resolve them on our own power, I pray and hope that God would put you through a season in your life where you realize the only answer is trusting in him and his power. The disciples were quickly put into that situation. You see, Philip was learning that it's not money that can solve the answer. It's only Jesus. There was a point where the disciples get in a boat. And while they're in a boat, a wild storm begins to brew. And, and not only is this storm just raging, it's about to kill them. The, the boat is rocking and turning. Let me tell you, when you're in those storms in life, there is no amount of money that can save you. There is no amount... There is, no, there is no job that can save you from those storms in your life. And so the disciples were learning very quickly that it wasn't even their own ability because they can't stop the storm. So they go to Jesus. They go to him. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus has the ability to just raise his hands and say, be still. And the storm calms down instantly. But again, it wasn't even about the storm. It was so that the disciples would learn you have no power, but your Savior does. The world wants to tell you, you have all the power. You deserve a crown. You have so much, and so therefore you're able to do so much. As believers, we recognize, no, I am a wretch. I am a sinner. I have no power, no ability, but my Savior does. The logic of the gospel is far different from the logic of the world. The world wants to tell you, in order for you to be influential, you need to have Money, power, authority. You need to be respected. The gospel explains there are no prerequisites. The reason why you are given authority, the reason why you are holy, the reason why you are a saint is because of the blood of Christ. As you face these problems, as you face this call that God has on your life, I pray and I hope that you don't try to answer it with your own ability because you're going to fall short and you're going to fail. You're only going to be able to do a fraction of what God wants you to do. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you entrust your life with the Lord, he will ex let you experience your full calling. He will help you answer that storm in your life. But it takes surrender. Our church is very wealthy. And I'm not condemning your wealth. I'm condemning your trust in wealth. Our church is very affluent. And many times, what that does is it pushes people out. It pushes people away. I don't know if you know, but there are times where people come and they're intimidated because of the style, the amount of wealth in our church, the amounts that people have that they come and they feel that they can't be accepted in our community because they don't have the same kind of job. They don't have the same kind of family. They don't have the same kind of resources. Let me tell you, that is because the church is based on the power of man. I guarantee you, if we begin to realize that it's not about what we have, but it's about who we worship, and whoever walks in the door is welcome to break bread with us, to fellowship with us, to play with us.
to raise our children together, to walk together, to be in the same small groups. Because it's not based on what you have. It's based on who we worship. I want us to learn this. I want us to understand that the reason why we gather isn't because we're this community that loves each other, that cares for each other, that the reason why we gather is because we love Christ and we love the Lord and we want others to get into relationship with him. This is not Logos Country Club. I heard that. I heard that once. You know, someone told me Logos Country Club because it's this place where all these people come and they, they're comfortable. They raise their kids because we have all these good things. And I, 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 I want to stray away from that so much. I want us to be a church. I, and I, again, to reiterate, we just came back from a ski trip. And, and on that ski trip, it's like we have all this nice stuff. We have all this nice gear. We're going down the mountain. Skiing's an incredibly expensive sport. It, it, it automatically just pushes people that don't have the resources to go. Uh, uh, the reason why I say this isn't to say that, oh, no, we, therefore we can't go on these ski trips. We can't do any of these trips because, you know, we're pushing people out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying church. If that is what's going to stop people from coming and fellowshipping with us, then can we give our five loaves and two fish to even answer that problem? And I know that we're capable of it. I know we have the capacity that if someone was like, hey, I want to go on the men's trip, I want to go on that ski trip, but I don't have, I don't have any of the gear, I don't have a lift ticket. I, I, I know that you know, we could gather together and be like, hey, I have an extra pair of skis, I have an extra pair of boots, I have an extra pair of clothes, that we could gather around that person and allow them to experience fellowship, not because it's about skiing. Who cares about skiing? Who cares about doing all that stuff? But so that they could feel, feel the love of Christ. They could feel that Jesus is here in this place. I challenge you. I challenge you. Do not trust in your bank account. Do not trust in your human ability. But trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are able to feed the 5,000. And Father, you called your disciples to feed the 5,000, knowing full and well of what you are going to do. And Father, I pray that as you call us to respond to the problems in our lives, that we would not try to answer it with our own human ability, but we would go to you first and foremost, offering unto you our five loaves and two fish, the little that we have, that Lord, that you could use it and you could multiply it for your namesake, not ours. Father, I pray that when the world tries to crown us with glory, that we would withdraw like you did. That, Father, it's not about the fame, but truly it's all about your name. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.